Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And before we get started, Megan, let's do a little shout out today to a beautiful listener who wrote us such a wonderful message, Bailey. So shout out to Bailey. Hi, Bailey. Congratulations. She's graduating from nursing school this week. And she had requested a very specific case, which Megan is covering. I am, just not today. Just not today. We just didn't want you to to forget about you, Bailey, because we know you're graduating this week. Your present, your gift, your story, it is coming. Yes, yes, it is. So, hey, there you go. Congratulations. Thanks for writing us and for such kind words and for listening. So, uh, good luck on your nursing future. And And I'm shaking the bones for you, Bailey. We're giving you all the luck on your finals. Shake our gree-gree, because she did request an... uh, nola case didn't she she did and i you know i love me some nola cases yes exactly so it's perfect that we're shaking our grigri and let's let our listeners know we have a new grigri in the sack today i need to meet her we haven't met personally yet let me get her out it is a crisp tiny crystal skull and she is in the sack with the other (sighs) crystal penises she's lovely Katie, who sent her to us, has affectionately named her the Queen of the Peen. Of course. She, well, she, if she wasn't before, she is now. She is now. Because she's, she's, she's going in the sack here. She's surrounded she's by six cr- crystal lovely. penises. And I think she's going to have a lovely life in there, being fondled by us each recording. That's and right. And living amongst the other peens. Right. The, or not the other. <laughs> all the of peens. them. She owns them all. So That's right. She's like the, the only female at the bar after hours. Yeah. Where she's going with us. It's not a bad situation not if you're in the right bar anyway. Exactly. And that sack is the right bar. That's mm-hmm. the place to be. It is. It's she's a safe hanging space. out only with the classiests of, of dicks. It's a safe so space. It is. Right. We have I, the fucking weirdest shit. We by do. The way. We're the best listeners. So for those Thank of you, you tuning in who are new to the podcast, we can't even begin to explain ourselves to you. Nope. Other than that, at this point in time, we practice some type of voodoo before each <laughs> each story uh we have accumulated good luck charms i just like to think of it as the athletes that refuse to change their socks because they're lucky yeah that's yeah, we just have our, our little um greek grease less here, stinky so. too i'm bringing you a story today i'm ready it's a little old timey and i know you've heard of it it's my best so i told you i went on this little kick where i was looking at like the most famous unsolved or most mysterious cases from each state yeah and of course, we covered Vermont, which was super fun with the Bennington Triangle. Tune into that episode. But this one is one from Kansas, and it is the case of the Bloody Benders. Oh, you're bringing me the Bloody Benders? I am. I, I've only, through rabbit holes of other research, read, like seen about it, but yeah. I don't know specifics. So enlighten me today, I'm going friend. to. So the Bloody Benders, and I'm going to start right off with this, they are what is believed to have been the first family of serial killers in the United States. Holy shit. Like the whole family like kills? Like the whole family. The family that kills together. Oh, yeah. It's, okay. it's one of those. So no fami- wonder why they're, is their last name Bender? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This I mean, is all making sense. It's going to. Before I get into that though, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. 
So I want to talk about the Homestead Act. Don't fall asleep, okay? <laughs> I did not see us starting here. I know, <laughs> but we are. Okay. So the Homestead Act of 1862 was signed into law by Abraham Lincoln. Oh, after of course. The, of course. After the Southern states ceded from the Union. Mm -hmm. It was a revolutionary concept for distributing public land in American history. Mm-hmm. So this law turned over vast amounts of the public domain to private citizens. So 270 million acres or 10% of the area of the United States was claimed and settled under this act. Mm -hmm. Repercussions of this monumental piece of legislation can be detected throughout America today. Of course, there are people that were displaced and I'll get to that in a bit. Of course. Of an course, entire, an entire nation of nation. people. Mm -hmm. The prime land across the country was homesteaded quickly. Successful homestead claims dropped sharply after the 1930s. And the Homestead Act remained in effect until 1976, with the last provisions for homesteading in Alaska until 1986. Okay. I had no idea it lasted that long. So no. people are still homesteading at this point. Yeah. Okay. So a homesteader, how one would come to be a homesteader and have this land is that you had to be the head of a household. So at this time, a man, a man. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming in 1986 in Alaska, that was not the case, right. but that head of household, we will use the word term <laughs> or at least 21 years of age to claim a 160 acre parcel of land. It wasn't as easy as it sounded, though, because settlers from all walks of life worked to meet the challenges of, quote unquote, proving up. So you had to improve the land after you got this got 160 from the government. OK. And Why is that not still a thing? It, by right. the way, you it couldn't just be. buy it and let it sit. You had to do something to prove it up. OK. This was intended for farmers. Yeah. I mean, and if we think of Kansas as we see it today, this yes. is like the heart of American farmlands. Yep. Right. And that's this is why. Yeah. So. Settlers from all walks of life would work again to try to prove up this land, but they didn't have experience. So there's immigrants, uh, farmers without lands of their own. There were single women and formerly enslaved people all okay. attempting to get land under their Homestead Act. A filing fee was the only money that was required, but sacrifice and hard work exacted a different price from the settlers. Do you know it was the filing fee outrageous? I don't believe that it was. And okay. I, I should have found, I think filing fees were different depending on where you went, but sure. they, they weren't. Okay. They Good. didn't. Because I could just see how no. it's like, oh, you only get land if you're rich. No, you know? not at all. That's they how it is today. Correct. <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't. In fact, the whole point was that by paying this filing fee, they at least had, you know, something to lose if they didn't improve their land. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And they had to had to do certain things. So each homesteader had to live on the land, build a home, make improvements and farm to get the land. OK, the patent they received represented the culmination of hard work and determination and nearly four million homesteaders settled land across 30 states over 123 years. The Homestead Act of 1862 allowed anyone over 21 or the head of household to apply for free federal land with two single stipulations. They must be a citizen of the United States or legally declare their intent to become one. And they could not have fought against the United States or aided enemies of the United States. Okay. And this is post-Civil War. Mm -hmm. right, 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 right. Farming wasn't easy, though. No. You come from a family of farmers. Yes. And it's still not easy. And it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. And it's still expensive. Very much so. A lot of these settlers had never farmed before, but they're intending to go get their land and, and farm. Oh, shit. They With had no money, prior training, farming, okay. tools, implements. Oh, God. And farming tools and implements, much as they are today, although mechanized, 
were expensive then. Mm -hmm. So you might be able to afford your filing fee, but when you go to settle your land out west, how are you going to afford all of the tools with which to farm? How are you going to plow the land? Right. And you're going to need your animals, your teams of horses or cattle to be able to do this. And you then need a way to feed all of those things as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. They, believe it or not, we have to feed the living creatures so that they can continue to work for us. Turns out. Yeah. So the Osage Trail, which is later called the Santa Fe Trail, was originally called the Osage Trail by the Native American tribe that inhabited the area. Mm -hmm. As many Old West trails began, it was begun by natural migratory paths of of buffalo and other wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was something that was interesting. Then humans come along and fuck it up. Right. As we still do. Mm -hmm. It extended from central Missouri near Franklin and Boonville, Missouri, westward, shadowing the route of the Missouri River, then turning southwestward toward Independence, Missouri, into Kansas, Colorado, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Old Mexico. Okay. So what we have, what we have now. Right. Parts of Texas, I believe. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get through this and still mention, because I believe that tribute should be paid to the actual Osage tribe. Yes. So between the first treaty with the U.S. and uh, 1825, the Osage ceded their traditional lands across what are now Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma in the treaties of 1818 and 1825. In exchange, they were to receive a reservation or reservation lands to the West and supplies to help them adapt to farming and a more settled culture. They were the f- they were first relocated to a southeast Kansas reservation called the Osage Diminished Reserve. The city of Independence later developed there. The first Osage reservation was a 50 by 150 mile strip. During this period in Kansas, the tribe suffered from the widespread smallpox pandemic. Yeah. Of 1837 to 38, which caused devastating losses. Yeah. I know I, your face over here is just uh, because I we're just, reliving the worst parts of American history right it's here. It's awful. But, but it has we, to be kept in mind. It, I know. But what we did to that. And you, you know what I'm thinking this whole time? The most ironic part of it is that we put into these man-made laws about how if you want to own this land, you have to be nurturing it when we stole it from the people who were essentially living with it. Who were hunting and it and using it. it and nurturing it. Yeah, Way better than we ever and sur- have. And surviving. Absolutely. And surviving. But they wanted agriculture to boom yep. and, and assist in feeding the rest of the United States because cities were starting to get big out east and heavily settled, even moving to the Midwest. So this is why we're expansion, westward mm-hmm. expansion. It is. The money, o- money, the money, money, money. The Osage were forced to move again to Indian yeah. territory in what became Oklahoma. So then you have the Civil War and Indian Wars. White squatters, us, we mm-hmm. continued to be a frequent problem for the Osage, but they recovered. We fucking still are. <laughs> right. God. But they recovered uh, from their population losses, regaining a total of 5,000 members by 1850. The Kansas-Nebraska Act resulted in numerous settlers arriving in Kansas. Both abolitionists and pro-slavery groups were represented among those, trying to establish residency, which, as you can imagine, caused tension. Sure. In order to vote on whether the territory would have slavery. Oh. So the Osage lands became overrun with European-American settlers, and in 1855, they suffered, the Osage suffered another epidemic of smallpox because a generation had grown up without getting vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. And we brought it. We, we do, <laughs> yep. And continue to spread disease of some kind wherever we yep. go. Also still doing it. Right. So, well, I mean, 
We know some of our I mean, friends. we all are. <laughs> right. Yeah. They should come with a prescription for penicillin. Yes, yes. Subsequent U.S. treaties and laws through the 1860s further reduced the lands of the Osage in Kansas. And during the years of the Civil War, they were buffeted by both sides as they were both located between Union forts in the north and Confederate forces oh, and for allies to the sake. south. Caught between a literal rock yes. and a hard place. yes. So they tried to stay neutral. Both sides were being raided. Their territories were horses were being taken. Food stores were being taken. So then, and I'm almost done here, but following the Civil War and victory of the Union, the Drum Creek Treaty was passed by Congress on July 15th, 1870 and ratified by the Osage at a meeting in Montgomery County, Kansas on September 10th, 1870. It provided that the remainder of Osage land in Kansas be sold and the proceeds used to relocate the tribe to Indian territory in the Cherokee outlet. By delaying agreement with removal, the Osage actually benefited by a change in administration. They sold their lands to the peace administration of President Ulysses S. Grant, for which they received more money, $1.25 an acre, rather than the 19 cents previously offered to them by the U.S. That's great, but money had very little value for their culture. Right. I mean, they were they were able to, uh, I mean, set up territory, right. you know, and this establish This is white man way territory. of trying to it be is. like, it hey, is. it's fine, here's money, because we think it's super yeah, important. Yeah, you made it out better than the, the other tribes have, yeah. because we paid you a fair dollar market so he, value Here amount. you go. We're like, we're going to kick you out of your mansion, give you more than it's worth, right. but we're going to make you settle well, in a trailer. Correct. And you know what's interesting just about that amount, and I didn't put it in my notes, but I recall this possibly from even history class, because I paid attention. If you didn't want to pay the filing fee and um, work to improve the land, you could simply just outright buy land out west, okay. the 160 acres, at $1.25 an acre. Oh, sure, sure. So they yeah, got so paid if you what are the, rich their and you fair don't market wanna, value was. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to actually nope. tend to the land, you can do so. You can own yes. some. Mm-hmm. So, and as you can imagine- but if you're poor, you better be getting to work. Exactly. Wow, not a lot, not a lot has changed. No, it hasn't. <laughs> For sake, we learned you, nothing from history. But who are the people with the money, the $1.25 an acre to be able to pay for it? These aren't your farmers. No. But there no. aren't stipulations on it now because you aren't getting free land under the act. So right. this is why you have all of these cattle ranchers that have moved out there and mm-hmm. you have lumber barons. And so that's that's why that th- those things went west as well. Yep. So we have all these settlers heading west to Homestead. Okay. Now we get into the good stuff. Yeah, but I, I liked that history lesson. You're I think good. that it's a good refresher. And we have many listeners that are not from the United States. So now they know. Now you understand mm-hmm. what we did as a people here. Yes. How after horrible we, left we Europe. all are. Yep. <laughs> or, or wherever we hailed from. For sure. I'm using Europe because that's where my ancestors mm-hmm. came from. A lot of them were. So October of 1870. Five families settled in the area in Kansas along the Osage Trail. Mm -hmm. The Bender family was one of these. They were thought to be German immigrants when they arrived in southeastern Kansas, traveling from Fort Scott to Cherryvale and Independence. And those women are miserable in their corsets and they are covered from chin to tip of toes. Well, I'll tell you that to start. So the family of the Benders, there's four adults that make up the family. Okay. But originally traveling in 1870 in October was just the two men. Oh. So John Bender Sr. and John Bender Jr. came to homestead their 160 acres apiece first. So um, they both were going to get their 160, by the way. Each of them had their claim. Okay. Sure. And they probably were going to help each other. Yes. So John Bender Sr. was a stooped, broad, and short-limbed man who spoke little to no English and mostly communicated in grunts. 
So very guttural German, they believe, and just he basically just grunted to communicate because he had he didn't have the English, and his <laughs> extremities are not very long. No, but <laughs> but he has nubs. Okay, yeah. So but listen to this. He's sixty years old, and most right. people start simply referring to him as Pa Bender. Sure, he stood over six feet tall and was described as a giant of a man. All I can picture now is a T Rex. For sure. He's <laughs> just super tall he's with not over long six, arms. Six feet oh. with short limbs and he stooped and kind of, well, you know, tall people hunch sometimes when they're sure. insecure or in his case, probably, you know, a hard worker. And gravity really starts to take a toll. Oh man, does it? I, I feel that every morning. Mm-hmm. He had piercing black eyes that were set under bushy brows. And sure. some men referred to him as old beetle browed John. <laughs> He had a ruddy complexion with a heavy beard that he kept. There are no reports of him shaving during any of his time on the homestead. And there's some speculation as to why later. Oh, was that a common practice to shave? I guess I I felt like everybody had facial hair back then. I think they did, but they would be clean shaven at times. Not everybody had the beard, but he grew this beard that he left. He kept on, um, uh, I I believe, for facial recognition purposes. Oh, worth noting anyway. It it left a mark on people. So he always had a sullen expression and was... I like this quote, wild and woolly looking. Oh, sure. Same. Okay. So I've been there too. In the morning, man, yeah, that's exactly how you could. wild and woolly. You could describe me. My grandma used to say she woke up bright eyed and bushy tailed. Yes. I never got wild and woolly. Nope. I've heard that one too. John Bender Jr. was talkative. He spoke fluent, although heavily accented English. He was 25 years old, incredibly social, but he would laugh often and his laughter was oddly placed and sometimes kind of maniacal. Like it just, just laughter for the sake of laughter, Mm -hmm. causing neighbors to believe there was something wrong with him. And they started referring to him as half wit. Oh, right. (laughs) All right. We weren't super politically correct in the the late 1800s. No. John, But I'm picturing it just (laughs) beautifully. Yeah. Old Pa Bender and half wit are over there working on their land. (laughs) John Jr. is described as tall, skinny, and handsome with auburn hair and a mustache. Oh. So he didn't have the beard. He just had the, the mustachio. Fancy mu- the mustachio. All right. And I told, I think I've said once before, I'm a firm believer that very few men can pull off mustaches, but I mean, John Jr. was pulling it off. Must be. In the land office in Humboldt, John Sr. and John Jr. registered adjoining claims of 160 acres. Pa Bender's 160 acres faced the Osage Trail and they were isolated enough that their nearest neighbor was a three quarters of a mile away. So Pa and Junior on Pa's land build a one-room house. It measures 16 feet by 24. So what, like your living room? Yep. With a nine-foot ceiling. So okay. like your like living room. Exactly like my living room. Yep. They built a seven-foot square cellar below the home as well. The one-room home, so half of your living room, they separated using a wagon canvas. So the white canvas oh, that would yeah. go over your wagon, they mm-hmm. put, used it as a partition. They dug a well and even built a stable. And the women did arrive after they arrived in the winter of 1870, or it says possibly 71. Okay. They tilled the soil for gardens and planted an orchard. So they're, culturally, they were known to um, be, uh, have green thumbs, and people were excited about the prospect of orchards, peaches yeah. and apples, and all of those things growing as well. I can Okay, so up, up, up they're gonna, the land. They're going to improve this. All right. Now, I want you to know, 
There was never any attempts at improvement on Junior's 160 acres. Well, I noticed that you said that they built the house on pause. Everything. The stable, they dug the well, everything was there. So I don't know if neighbors or whoever assumed that maybe they would get to theirs when the right. time came. when they get to it. But the only improvement ever made was on pause 160 acres. How do you think they measured out 160 acres in determined territory back then? Like, so the, where was the survey? How were surveys? I think that it was plotted out by foot. And, and rudimentary measuring, you know, measuring yeah. strings, measuring yeah. tapes. They had those, but nothing certainly was anything like we have now in Literally terms of accuracy. Literally what our country is built on. But I mean, it had to go off. It had to have evolved yeah. based on. Well, and survey those. markers, survey markers could be a, a tree, a, a rock, right. those type of things that were supposed to be immovable. And, you know, you still see now in crops when you drive through here and your dad farms. Yes. Fence rows. Random tree so like the right fence the rows, we don't mean proverbial fences, but no. there is a row of something that's mm-hmm. separating your fields to act as markers. That's what made me wonder is, uh, did they have something that they built or you know, plant it or something to, to denote where their 160 I'm sure was. that there were cases where good fences make good neighbors, but this probably wasn't one of them because mm-hmm. I don't think it was there was ever an intention to improve that other piece okay. of property. Okay, okay. So let me tell you about the ladies. Yeah, I'm sure they were super stoked to arrive and be like, cool, 16 by 24. Yeah, they. I think they were okay. Um, but Ma Bender, I don't know that you would know because she's just a nasty person. Oh. She's not a nice lady at all. All right. So her name is Elmira. Of course. <laughs> what, why does that just fit for some reason? I'm sorry if that's if your you name. If you could have guessed a name, it would be, be Elmira. I was picturing an Elmira. What a name certainly. And you know they were probably like, Oh, a chill just ran through my spine. I think the ladies are upon us. Yes. And this is why. So Elmira is described as raw boned with a heavy guttural accent speaking almost no English, like none at all, similar to her husband. Yeah. She was 55 years of age, homely, heavy set with sinister eyes. (laughs) She was so unfriendly that the neighbors called her she devil. Oh my God. Yeah, I think my neighbors call me a lot of things, but I hope I that's not I one of them. I don't think homely and she devil are one of them, just so you I know. I mean, hot and she devil, I'll take. Holy shit. This was perpetuated by the fact that she always cooked over a large cauldron and once disclosed in some German rage that she was a medium and spoke to the dead. Yeah, Elmira, you're not helping your cause here. No. And maybe she really was a medium. I won't well, discredit that. And but he, the cauldron, do you need the cauldron, Elmira? Some, there's some credence to it. Well, she's cooking in the cauldron because I'm, I'm going to get to why. I mean, she needed to cook a large Could amount you of food. imagine traveling west with a fucking cauldron? I think it'd be great. God. I'm going to stop at random campfire sites and get my cauldron cauldron out strip down naked like a witch throw throw a hat on (laughs) right we're making quarters tonight (laughs) so she said to uh, rule the home with an iron hand and all accounts say that pond jr did whatever she demanded of them so wouldn't you she wore the pants yeah she has a cauldron she's wearing that he could probably fit in i i don't know that they that's a possibility, Charnel. You just gave me a whole different theory uh-huh. here. So the accounts of Ma Bender being some type of medium, though, they have more credence when we hear more about Kate. Okay. So Kate, the daughter, Kate is 23 years old, and she is the friendliest Bender. She is a sunshine and joy. 
Oh, this poor girl. She is incredibly social, spoke perfect English with just the slightest accent. She was described as beautiful, quick to laugh, and friendly to strangers. So these two trolls essentially produced beautiful children. Yeah. Because their son was handsome. Handsome with a little nice. auburn mustachio. Mustachio. And then here's sweet Kate. Who is just the loveliest little thing. Huh. She and her brother, John, were said to attend the Sunday school near Harmony Grove, and the community was very accepting of them. Okay. They fit right in. Great. Well, when the women arrived, they used half of the partitioned cabin to open a store and inn in oh, 1871. And inn? An inn. How are you keeping, where are you keeping the people? Let me explain. So Kate hangs a sign that reads groceries above the door sure. and the Bender Inn opened for business. So there was a heavy table with benches by the makeshift partition. They served meals to the patrons and then there were shelves with a small counter and items to purchase, like a little kind of grocery store. Mm -hmm. Ammo, canned goods, bolts of cloth, and other staple items that one might need while heading west. This is sure, on the Osage right. trail. The trail. People are going to stop. So people would sleep at night if there was just one or two. They'd feed them. They'd get their um, provisions and then sleep on that side of the cabin. Okay. And then on the other side of the partition, back where the cook stove was and a couple of rudimentary beds, Is that's the where the family home. would be. Yeah, okay. so they're using this inn. And then, of course, they're able to take care of the traveler's horses, lodge them for the night in the stables that they built. Right. Um, so Got themselves a nice little they biz do. going. They do. And perhaps, originally, ideally, they were going to make money so that they could improve the piece next door. Right, that, right. The next 160. That we could throw them that bone. So, smartly, Kate was the acting storekeeper and waitress because she obviously has the best countenance, right? Mm -hmm. She was popular at the inn along the Osage Trail. People heading west would come across this place, and its location was ideal, as I indicated. Men described Kate as finely curved with an always smiling red mouth. Pervy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Per <laughs> she would. <laughs> For sure. I love male accounts describing always, female beauty from the 1870s. Oh, always smiling. Finely curved. Mouth. Finely curved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like cat calling in the It is. 80s. For the eight, yes, in the 1800s. It is. That is cat calling for well, sure. Well, Kate did not mind. She would gossip with the customers inside the house. Her brother John would tend to the customers' horses outside. Uh, Pa's out there as well doing manual labor. And Ma Bender, with her nasty little attitude, stayed in the rear of the apartment behind Good. the uh, partition with the stove and the family's beds. But she was said by Osage Township standards to be a very good cook. So sure. people wanted to come eat. That tracks. Yep. That tracks. The Bender Inn became popular by word of mouth. Okay. Now, Kate probably had a lot to do with their popularity around town. Um, along with She's being beautiful, beautiful and friendly lips. and having just a finely curved body and red lips, she was a self-proclaimed healer and psychic. Awesome. She okay. gave lectures on spiritualism. Okay. And conducted seances. Oh, you're, you're, I was with you until we went there. Yes. Okay. We're talking spiritualism on, on its actual level of spiritualism. Mm -hmm. We're not talking like Which, some random form of Christianity. We're talking Christianity. We're talking real spiritualism. I love spiritualism and I love learning about yeah. it. And I think we could all learn something from it. She believes that she is a psychic, that she communicates with the dead and she does seances for people and she advertises in these and giving lectures and people wow. watch this. So they are coming to her for these things. educating them. She is. Okay. She handed out pamphlets about her skills that included supernatural powers 
and the ability to cure illnesses and disease. Okay. One of her handbills, those are pamphlets. I love the word handbill. We still, when you go to a play and and you're being old fashioned, they will still often call them a playbill or a handbill. Yes. So one of the handbills read, Professor Miss Katie Bender. Professor. Well, she promoted herself. There is no documentation that she is a professor, but Professor Miss Katie Bender can heal all sorts of diseases, Mm. can cure blindness, fits, deafness, and all such diseases, also deaf and dumbness. Wish I could <laughs> wish I could do that. Oh and then damn. go so far. Residence, fourteen miles east of Independence on the road from Independence to Osage Mission, one and one half miles southeast of Nora Head Station. That's so where you can find her. She wants people coming to yeah. that inn so that she can give them readings, cure them of their dumbness yeah. and other such ailments. Oh gosh, where is a modern day Katie? Because I've got some people to send to you. I wonder if you can really he- heal yeah. dumbness. Yeah, I got well, some people. <laughs> I, I think that those people weren't healed because oh, some I'm of them didn't not. come back. Oh, uh-oh. So sometimes people are just too far gone. Yeah. You just got to murder them instead. <laughs> the dumbness continued on you know, West you know or what? something. You're not improving society. So I'm going to take it upon myself. I think we've run along across, uh, across a number of killers or serial killers over the years who follow that yes, rule. Right. Yes. They justify no, it. It was a way. no big loss chalk up. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Which is not our theory, by the way, no. to anybody who might be upset or offended. I don't care how dumb you are. No. Everyone deserves to live. I have a lot of darling done dumb friends oh that i wouldn't trade for a wor- the world but Gosh, i'm not no. gonna ask them for tips or advice no. i just you know and also i'm not gonna tell them i can heal them by Mm-mm. getting out my ouija board and talking also, to the I dead i will say modern day um healers do not claim that they can heal ailments either they just talk about symptom um yes. helping the symptoms they are very careful about we treat the symptoms yes right. we are not going if you have stage four cancer we are not curing that but no we're we can treating help the symptoms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this becomes very profitable for Katie. Sure. For, for Kate, I should say. All of a sudden, a bunch of horny men are coming down with ailments. Which she is not upset about because Kate loved being the center of attention and desired fame, wealth, and position. Okay. She advocated for free love. Wow. She was In her time. ahead of her time. She was. She justified- But that also goes with the healing and the mediumism, mediumism it though. It does. Is- we're here where, to love. Where she took the free love too far, and I think what maybe gained her some people who literally started to say that she was satanic, Uh-oh. were some of the statements that she made during her lectures or her, her small group audiences. Okay. So I think that the men and maybe some of the women there are just eating up this free love thing. I don't know if she was doing the lectures nude or not, but, you know, they're sure. loving this. Yeah, yeah. And then she says a couple things like, love is love, even with a brother. Oh. And they're, they, she and John Jr. had been kind of cozy at times. Sure. And, well, it's lonely on the trail. And people people are beginning to believe that there's some type of a sexual relationship yeah. because she has zero boundaries when it comes to free love. And I'm sure there was. I do I'm hope sure you, there was. I do hope you all know I'm, I'm meaning love in the carnal sense yes. of the word. Yes. Okay? Not just kindness not to just, one another. Not just loving thy neighbor as, yeah. as the Holy Bible was telling mm-hmm. the other people in Independence, Missouri to do. So we yes. have this conflict. Yes. She also once justified murder in one of her lectures. Okay. I think situationally, but justified it. And okay. and these things, these things make people nervous. These are problematic. Now yeah. we're getting into some uncomfies. Yeah. I'm starting to feel uncomfy. There's a fine line when you're trying to get people to join your cult. Yes. And 
some people are going to jump right in and the rest are going to be like, well, that made me feel funny and not in a good way. Right. Yes. I came here originally and um, Kate made me feel quivery and now she's making me feel shivery. And yes. those are two different types of goosebumps. They are. Yep. You don't want <laughs> happening. No. One you want, one you don't. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So between 1871 and 1873, travelers in that two year span, they start to go missing. Uh-oh. At first, a a few travelers coming up missing didn't cause much concern because think about it. People just continue on their journey west. So the people that are coming through, you're not coming to settle there. They're just stopping. Yeah. Disappearances, though, became more and more frequent. And by the spring of 1873, rumors abounded that travelers should avoid the trail. Uh Uh-oh. Right? Like, people are kind of missing along this section of the Osage Trail. You should avoid it. Towns are few and far from one another, and communicating with the rural populations was sporadic at best. Sure. And And probably took time. Well, yeah. And remember, people are aren't carrying around driver's licenses no. or other forms of identification. So you're not IDing people. You may not know who the people are traveling right. through. They literally used facial recognition. If this was the only way to identify people now, I would, I can't, I look at somebody and I'll be like, I know who you are. I can't fucking figure out why right. I know you, how I know yes. you. This is an occupational hazard for me, by yes, the way. Most but yeah, definitely. I mean, I know, I know you. I just can't figure it out. In a small town. Definitely. Towns, uh, as I indicated, so the only way to communicate, as you just indicated, was to send somebody, right, mm-hmm. off on horseback and say, hey, we got a message from this town three towns over that said this person never got what they were supposed to. Have you seen them? Have you seen this tall, burly man with short nubs and bushy eyebrows? Exactly. I mean, you know, they had to use distri- yes. descriptors. Yes, I did see him. Right, like that, like, oh. Spring of 1871. Don't even get me started on doppelgangers. <laughs> right. I mean, then you're just fucked. We all have them. Yes. We just don't know where they are. I want to find mine, though. Apparently, back, Do you have one? back in folklore, if you saw your doppelganger, it then, was trouble. You're going to die. I know. But traditionally today, though. And Stephen King would agree because he wrote a really great book. Yes. Not, I know you don't read. I don't know. But you, I did wait, know the you premise. don't read horror? You don't read don't. the Stephen King? I do not. Mm-mm. All right. Spring of 1871, Labette County. This is the county that they're in. Mm-hmm. And the stretch of the Osage Trail near the Bender Inn started having an inordinate number of missing person reports. So now they're lo- they're finding that it's just in this specific area. So here's to a few things that happened that are concerning. In May of 1871, they found the body of a man by the name of Jones discovered in Drum Creek. His head had been bashed in by a hard object and his throat had been cut. Ugh. Of course, the person who owned that piece of land where the body was found was the person of interest for quite a while, but there was never uh, any evidence or proof to proceed. Sure. The, there's just a body Other found in his river. And like, I'm sorry, I own 160 acres. And, uh, and this is along the trail yeah. and he was just off of it and in the creek. In February of 1872, so uh, nine months later, there was a blizzard in southeastern Kansas. After the snow melted, there were two bodies in Drum Creek. They had not died from the blizzard because blizzards don't bash people's heads in and cut their throats. Unless it's Diet Love Pass. Well, very good. That's a whole different story. <laughs> it is. See an earlier episode. It's right. Because the area was well known to have horse thieves and other common prairie well, crimes. Sure. This is the Wild West, people. It, right? Yeah. And there are still indigenous people. Um mm-hmm. Although I do want to point out that for the most part, they were peaceful and we were assholes. So I'm just going to throw that there. Yes, yes. There's little law enforcement. Um, right. And there were also, because there was little law enforcement, kind of vigilante style committees. 
Yeah. Right? This right, is vigilante right, justice was big. You'd grab yes. your group of people and go and yep. get the justice. Yes. So these vigilante groups did arrest some people, but they were all released by actual authorities um, who know how to investigate. Citizens arrests. Well, and some, yeah. And some innocent men were even run off because as you can imagine, you know, armed farmers on horseback dragging you off in the night wasn't comforting. I think a lot of people, those people that were ran off were like, not it. This is not worth this to me. We're going back east, right? Right, right. In the winter of 1872, George Newton um, Lanker, Lanker was traveling from Independence, Kansas to settle in Iowa. He purchased a team of horses and a wagon and was traveling with his infant daughter, Mary Ann. George had lost his wife. She was uh, she had died, I think, about six to nine months before. Mm-hmm. And they were moving to Iowa to stay with relatives. I believe his parents, it indicates specifically Marianne's grandparents, which is mm-hmm. just cute. Mm-hmm. So little Marianne's grandparents became worried when they never arrived. Sure. Obviously, these two weren't two people or a, a, a man and his young daughter just traveling west without going to someone. So they were actually able to send word back a game of telephone from town to town and said word back to Kansas that George and Mary Ann had never made it. Now others disappeared around the same time. Fall of 1872, so just before Mr. Longcor or George and Mary Ann disappeared, a Johnny Boyle left from Osage Mission on foot. He was traveling with about $1,900. This is $35,000 today. Intending to purchase land. So he was okay. going to go do the yep. thing and he purchase gonna, it outright. Yeah, he was going to do the 125 uh, yes. acre. Okay. But he never returned and he had not, he never purchased any land. Mm. Henry McKenzie, a 29-year-old Civil War veteran, had also walked from Indiana to Kansas. But he went to visit his sister in Independence. He was described to have been very fancily dressed in a chinchilla coat. Chinchilla. I want one. Oh my gosh. I would never kill them though. I'll wear no. it live. Yes. <laughs> For sure. I don't know. Hold why. each other's tails. Megan, I was picturing it alive. The whole time when you said I want one, I knew exactly what you meant. Oh yeah. Uh, a live chinchilla coat. I am a walking weapon. But Henry here, he only carried 40 cents. He wasn't, he wasn't well off. He was, he was a civil dressed. war vet. He just wasn't Honestly, well off. Honestly, I bet he borrowed this coat because it was cold. Right. He wore course. the chinchilla coat to go walk to visit his sister yeah. from Indiana to Kansas. Holy shit. Amen. I don't know. I mean, I love my sister and brother, but I don't know that I'm walking halfway across the country just I love my visit. sister and she lives five miles from me. And I'm not, not going walking. to walk in the winter to go see her either. No. no. Love you so, so much. Love you so much. Miss you. Yeah. Um, Henry McKenzie disappears. Mm-hmm. Ben Brown, another lone traveler who drove a pair of sorrel horses. That was his, he, not well off, wasn't carrying a bunch of money, but he drove a pair of sorrel horses. Okay. Disappeared along the Osage Trail with no explanation. Then we have William McCrotty, who lived near Osage Mission also. He left to purchase land similarly to Johnny Boyle. He's carrying $2,600 with him. So well over $40,000. Yeah. Also to purchase land, never returned, never purchased any land. So we're setting up some issues, some yeah, some concerns here. I'd say. Now, Mr. Longor, I'm just going to call him George, that disappeared with his little daughter. These, this solidified that something terrible was happening. Yeah, All of these people yeah. have gone missing. Then you have a man and his little and girl his missing. daughter. Mm-hmm. And there was somebody to, to miss him. Like he didn't show right. up where he was supposed yes. to. There was an end game there. Mm-hmm. Too many mysterious disappearances to call a coincidence at this point. 
The person George had purchased the horse and wag- horses and wagon from was a neighbor from Independence, a Dr. William Henry York. I just love neighbors a, in the 1800s. That's a wonderful name. Dr. William Henry Dr. York. Dr. William Henry York, who is a great human being, realizes his neighbors are missing, whom he sold the horse and, and wag- horses and wagon to, and he's concerned. He goes and looks for him. Really? He heard that there had been horses and a wagon abandoned near Fort Scott, and it was reported that the horses were nearly starved to death. Oh. So Dr. York goes. He identifies the horses and IDs the wagon as the ones that he sold. As his own. Okay. And they contained, by his identification, the wagon, the clothing of George and little Marianne. Oh, okay. So Dr. York knows something's wrong. Mm -hmm. He heads out after he identifies uh, at Fort Scott these horses. And he disappears. Oh, no. He had been riding, described as riding a valuable horse, and was carrying around 700 to $900, which is probably normal for a, uh, he's a doctor yeah, during the yeah. time. Dr. York may have been, they believe, looking for clues as to George and Marianne's disappearances when he himself became a victim. Man-eating rocks. Yeah. <laughs> See a prior episode. Well, as we know, and you've stated before at the beginning of this episode, even money and power can make things happen. Mm -hmm. And when someone important goes missing, we have seen justice move faster. Right. In these cases. Like a doctor. Like a doctor. Mm -hmm. And when a doctor goes missing, I think your townspeople worry, but even more so in his case were his two brothers, the Ed York who lived in Fort Scott. And Colonel Alexander M. York, a Civil War veteran, lawyer, and Kansas State Senator from Independence. Okay. Yep. That's important. Dr. York disappeared, and Colonel York wasn't happy. Nope, I bet not. The wrong person disappeared. Where's my bro? Where's my brother? Mm -hmm. Who went looking for a lovely young man whose wife died, and he was with his infant child. Yep. Yep. There is attention, finally, being brought to people coming up missing. Mm -hmm. Both the colonel and Ed, brother Ed, knew what Dr. York's travel plans were. And when he didn't return, they put on an all-out search. Colonel York led 50-some men questioning every traveler along the Osage Trail and stopping at every homestead. March 28, 1873, the search party arrives at the Bender Inn. No, oh, does the, it? The Benders admitted that Dr. York had stayed with them. Okay. Mrs. Bender is extremely grumpy. Junior is quick with Bible quotations, because that will make the situation better. Uh, Yes, we are people of God. Yes. So we're innocent. And they suggested that Dr. York may have had a run-in with some Indians. Oh, sure. Blame the people we stole the land from. Colonel York is like, oh, okay, yep, maybe that happened, and uh, has dinner there before leaving, but he's not alone. So he's he's not unaccompanied. Mm -hmm. So uneventfully leaves, but he... He doesn't, he doesn't like how he's feeling. Okay. Yeah, I bet not. I bet the juju in that place it is was, feeling real it was dark. Bad juju. And after he leaves the benders, he keeps feeling this uh, unease and he keeps asking questions. So the colonel runs across this woman and she says she had fled from the benders in because Elvira, Ma, mm-hmm. had threatened her with a knife. Hmm. So the colonel returns and he confronts the benders. Elvira didn't understand any English. All of a sudden. Mm-hmm. While Pa, no, she she hadn't, she was just grumpy and pretended she didn't uh, understand English most of the time mm-hmm. at that point. While Pa, Junior, and Katie denied this confrontation had even occurred. But Colonel York is persistent in his interrogations and eventually Ma, Elvira, she flips out. And all of a sudden speaking in accented, although perfect English, <laughs> orders them to leave her home and screams that that woman was a witch and had cursed her coffee. Cursed her coffee. 
Listen, you curse my coffee. You were having words. Oh yeah, I would not be. Also, okay with I'm that still drinking either. it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm just not happy about the fact that now I'm going to grow hair probably on my upper lip. I will drink your curse, raise you one voodoo charm and grow a beard. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Live the rest of my life hairy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Elvira's English had uh, uh, vastly improved. Yeah. Or Elmira, I should say. So now they're like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm." So the colonel's like, this is, something's off. Are you picturing a wart with hair on it in your face? I am. Because I, that's just how I see her. I am. Like the little, like the witch in, in in a sleeping beauty yes that's exactly when the colonel goes to leave young kate asks him to come back alone oh, oh does and, he and that she would talk to the spirits and help him find his brother mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i wonder how many times this worked i was just going to say and now we know how she did this katie kate doll mm-hmm. you're talking to a colonel in the United Force, the Armed Forces, or yeah, I mean, just off the Civil War, uh, had served in the United States Senate, or had co- seen even was lots currently. of death. This lots of death. This isn't going to work on him. No, no. So the Colonel leaves with his men, firmly convinced that the Benders are involved. Some of his men were also so convinced they wanted to hang them on sight because that's how we do justice <laughs> in the West. Yeah, exactly. but the Colonel, being a law-abiding man, he wanted the evidence. Someone or some ones in Osage County was responsible for these missing people and mm-hmm. he was going to find them. Well, what do we do when something bad's happening in our community in the late 1800s? Panic. We, yeah, but we panic often in, together. Yes, yes. And those mass, are called do we get, town meetings. Uh, town meetings. We still panic together. Do we at get those. our pitchforks and torches? Yes, they. we do. Okay, We wonderful. get our pitchforks, we get our, our horses, and we meet at Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. <laughs> of course. <laughs> because well, that's where all great ideas begin. The, the men and boys, the women and children have to stay behind. In fact, that is true because there were 75 citizens in attendance, including John Bender Sr. and Jr. Oh, I mean, the really? whole town is very worried, Sharna. It's a town meeting. They've got to They attend. went. And they they listened to all this evidence. I didn't put it down here, but there are some scripts, which I, I could have been highly falsified. So you find, if you find the Yorks on Find a Grave, you know, uh-huh. I lo- we love, you and I love, I find, love a find a Grave. Someone had taken to basically writing a little bit of a script out. Oh. I'm not going to read the script, but we could have done a dramatic reenactment. <laughs> It, it could be fun. I wish we should. We should. And have. and somebody says at one point in time, well, I think it was what whoever the Benders' neighbors were, and they say no, it was obviously the Benders. And John Benders like, I'm insulted. We would. It was not us, you know. So all of this yelling and talking is going back and forth. They know it's someone in the community, and what after listening to all the evidence, they decide that a warrant would be obtained to search every single homestead in that area. Kill the beast, but kill them legally. They yes. got a search warrant. They did. They're going to get a kill. warrant to go through I every... I love the way you segue to my random ass comments. Kill but the kill beast. them legally. Right. And With by beast, warrant. we mean legally executed search warrant. Yes. So three days after the town meeting, a Billy Toll is passing by the benders. So the benders now know that every house is going to be searched, so they have time to get rid of evidence. Well, not just that. When Billy Toll passes the benders, the inn, three days later... It is completely deserted. Oh, imagine that. The animals appeared to be starving. Oh, there was no assholes. one around. He reported this, by the way, three days after, which is when he, he immediately. So three days right, after the town meeting. Right. But we're in Kansas in Toto. Bad things happen when we in Kansas. It's oh, called weather. Yeah. 
there was really bad weather that kept people from leaving their homes. I don't know if it was tornado weather at this point. Probably it's fucking Your Kansas tornado. and it's flat as shit. Exactly. It's do, terrifying. Do, 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 do. They, they are Nebraska. able to investigate. Just I got PTSD from so, some travels. <laughs> right? D- Alabama, for me, when Is I was it? driving up from Florida last year, I, Alabama, there was some terrible, in January, terrible tornadoes oh. coming through. So anyway... The weather keeps people from getting out here to the benders to investigate. Days more pass before a search party goes to the benders. I believe what I read was that there were 10 days in total from the time they had the town hall meeting to the time a party got to the benders to search. Okay. Now, legitimately, it could have taken that long anyway because warrants to search all the homesteads along the area was going to take some time. Of course. So I'm not saying they weren't actually searching places, but the first place I would have gone, the first place Colonel York wanted to go, you know, was the benders. benders. So Colonel York is part of the party. Of course he is, of course. right? Yes, yes. Thank God we have a smart man here. He has made himself a part of the town now. <laughs> for, for the time being. When the party arrives at the Benders, the cabin was empty except for some random items strewn about. Three hammers, a knife, a clock, and a German Bible. Okay. This is the German Bible that Junior would quote things from all the time. Sure. And, and there were some random weirdness things written in there. Nothing uh, inculpatory, but still some things written. The livestock, they were either dead or starving oh. or close to it. I hate when people leave their freaking animals. Me too. Take them with you. I guess you can really take your livestock when you're on the run from the law. I assumed that killers and murders are good animal caretakers. I, know, I don't know. Right. Exactly. They hate My bad. people, but you know. I will continue. <laughs> Leroy Dick, the township's officer, and the rest of the party describe a bad odor in the cabin and found the smell to be coming from the cellar. From that little cellar that they built. So let me tell you about the little cellar. Oh, no. Well, there was also a trap door from the cabin into the cellar. On the inside of the cabin? On the inside of the cabin. And it just so happened to be under the chair at the table... Close oh, to the partition. Where all the guests sat. Are you getting a Sweeney Todd vibe? I am. This is terrifying. And also, that means they had this intention from the moment that they built that place. You got it. Holy fuck. This wasn't just like they sh- the women showed up and were like, you know what? We're bored. Let's start murdering people. No. The, it, this was intentional the entire time. Yes, when they moved there. I, that is that is what is thought in, in modern tales extending from there. And and this is this is ongoing. Yikes. So the trap door, they did nail it shut before they left. It's not hard to pry open. So they pried open and there had been a, they had laid a limestone slab down there. Not like poured concrete like us, but like literally laid a slab. There was blood, clotted blood all over the small room on the limestone and around it. Well, they take sledgehammers to the floor, to the limestone. And after breaking through the stone, they found that the blood had actually soaked into the dirt. And that's what was causing that odor, just that death odor, all this clotted blood. But there were no bodies or other evidence of remains, just the blood. So fuck, she Leonardo'd their Leonardo'd their ass. She cooked them okay. in a cauldron. Let me tell you that there have there is one rumor of um, cannibalism. I could not find anything to back that up, but I'll give it to you because you brought it up. The whole cauldron thing. People did talk. There were rumors that the people that had come up missing that weren't able to be found. They perhaps speculated that something had happened that they were they were cannibals or that they were serving them. Or just, okay. yeah, or just cooked down, rendered down and to get rid of. I don't know if they were selling soap or candles or anything like that, like I Leonardo. Bet they, I bet they were. But um, no proof of any of that. Okay. 
So, but how would they prove it then anyway, without an admission? Right. Leonardo admitted. Yes. And left her recipe a book. I know. Of she, she sure did. That you don't get still that don't here. hate her, but okay. So searchers began to probe the ground um using a long metal rod. I mean, this is sure. typical, right? Yes. I, I mean they use I mean, those we long actually rods. We still for, kind of have a, a, we do. a sense of that today. We do. Mm-hmm. So all around the cabin, they're using this long metal rod. They're not finding anything. Then they notice a rectangular depression in some kind of hard soil over in near the garden. Mm. And in and also some spots in the orchard. Mm. They notice some disturbed soil. So there where the rectangular depression was, where that kind of hard soil was, they started digging. And this is where they found and identified the body of Dr. William York. Oh, Dr. York. So he's presumably the man. last one to come up missing. Yeah. Because after that, people were on their trail. They they killed the wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah. He had been so his head was bashed, okay? It was yeah. hit. Went for his trauma, um, and his throat was cut. Okay, just Same like the other people ML. that were found. Mm-hmm. He had been buried face down with his feet barely below the surface. Oh. Very deep. He was buried, like, head oh. face down. Oh, where his Oh. Kind of at an angle. Like, like he dove ta- into not, the earth. Okay, not quite a dive, but enough right. so that his feet were barely under the mm-hmm. earth and he was put, yeah, pushed face I'm down. I'm picturing it. I got you. Okay. Yeah. It was just odd. That's weird. Yeah. They probed the ground and dug until midnight and marked nine mm. possible grave sites. Did they do that to save space? Because they were planning on having a lot of victims to bury? I, I don't know. They've got 160 acres. Yeah. The next morning... So they marked the spots. It's it's they dug until midnight. Okay. So they have to come back in daylight because this is 1980 something or 1880 something. Right. Fuck me, man. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is 1980. <laughs> so they start digging in the nine possible grave sites and they find the corpses of one unidentified man and an unidentified woman, a John Greary, a Henry McKenzie, mm. W.F. McCrady. Oh, McCrady. Ben Brown. And George Lonker and his little daughter. Oh, okay. Now I'm pissed. I know. Okay. So here's a trigger alert. Even though it's old timey, this might bother people. The body of little Mary Ann was found with no injuries that would have caused death. No, 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 no. All the others had blunt force trauma to Mm -hmm. the head and slashed throats. Mm -mm. The girl had been buried at her father's feet and appeared to have been buried alive. Alive. Yeah. I knew that's where you were going. These fuckers. Yeah. So these women, they couldn't, they couldn't kill, kill the child, but, um, so they buried her alive. So that's where their moral compass lies. I think that that is, but we're still going to kill her. We just can't be the ones to do it physically before. But what, what, I can't even wrap my mind around that. So that's, that's more inhumane. I don't know if you've ever heard this term, but I literally was like, oh my God, this is where this comes from. The burial site. The largest known mass gravesite at that time was christened Hell's Half Acre. Oh, no shit. You've heard it before. I have. In fact, I feel like my grandpa would be like, head on over. on over to Hell's yes. Half Acre, right? Yes, exactly. This is where it's coined. How it's, it's christened Hell's Half Acre. Oh my God, I never... A half acre of that 160 was a gravesite for the Bloody yep. Benders victims. Wow. Yep. Colonel York offered a $1,000 reward for information leading to the Bender's arrest. When word of the Bender's spread, this, the murders, thousands came, including reporters. Oh, yeah. And even, sadly, souvenir hunters. 
Oh my gosh. Who ripped the cabin apart, even taking the bricks lining the cellar. Man, humans still do shit like that yes. today. So that's interesting. But it's been happening since the beginning of time. Yeah. Grave robbers in ancient Egypt yep. and right. Yep. So people want their souvenirs. Wow. We are morbid. If we weren't, who wouldn't be listening to us? That's true. Pieces are coming together though. There's investigation, talking, really communicating now. We've as got best a colonel on the job. I mean, yeah. Well, visitors here here the here's what they've put together, pieced together. Visitors would stop for a meal, and then they would be seated at the table, positioned with their backs to the white canvas partition. Kate would charm the men, flirt, or even talk about her psychic gifts, mm-hmm. giving a lecture, perhaps, if they had come to listen. Mm-hmm. Then Pa and John Bender, hiding behind the canvas, would hit the man, man or men in the head with a hammer. Ma and Kate would take any valuables, slit the man's throat, and push them through the trapdoor into the cellar. Once it was safe to move the bodies, they would bury them under the cover of night in the say, garden behind the house. When it was house. safe, you mean dark? Uh-huh. Yes, under the cover of night. Because I was thinking to myself at first, God, that's a lot of work to drop a body down in a cellar just to have to carry them out. Mm-hmm. But they they were taking them as they came. They don't know who's going to stop. Look, they could have yeah. come during the day yeah. in the early. They're eating dinner, and yeah. someone could stop. Yeah, so they need to dispose pretty quickly Qu- yep. of the bodies. Yep. Now, even though they're taking valuables, they didn't know if they were going to get valuables. No. They were killing for the thrill of they it. They were. This Absolutely. was a plan. This was a routine. Yep. Although the and vendors. hopefully they had some extra cash on them. Well. As most travelers. And here's some what we've do. got. Although the vendors may have robbed their victims of about total of all these victims, $4,600. Now, this is a lot of money then. I mean, we're probably. That's what about the people that, that had now? like. Oh, okay. Wait, got ya. Thank you. I was like, wait, four thousand. You mean four thousand their time? Yes, not our time. Four thousand six hundred their time. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Two yeah. teams of horses and wagons. That's kind of what they believe was obtained from all of these victims. Mm-hmm. Victims. It has been widely thought that the benders literally killed for the bloody thrill of it, and yeah. they began to be coined the bloody benders yeah. at this point. Oh, I think absolutely that's accurate. So stories that assisted in piecing this information together included a failed execution of a William Pickering. Pickering had visited the inn and refused to sit near the wagon cloth because he saw what he believed to be bloodstains on it. It was white. Lovely sweet Kate at this point is mad that he won't sit there and she threatens him with a knife and he flees. Oh my god! She gosh. lost her shit. She wasn't getting her way. No. A Catholic priest visiting proclaimed to have seen one of the Bender men concealing a large hammer, which made him really uncomfortable, and so he left. Definitely. Two men also reported visiting the inn to experience Kate's psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's why they went to visit yes, Kate. Yes, yes. They wanted to talk to their dead grandma. They didn't want to stare at her luscious curve. Or have her give the free love lecture. Yes. Which I, I believe came with a souvenir breast. I don't I, I imagine <laughs> it probably sure. did. Well, they stayed for dinner. I'm sure they were titnatized oh. the whole time. <laughs> so they stayed for dinner. Um, when they refused to sit at the table because they chose to take their meal at that small counter, Kate also lost her temper with them. And the two Bender men emerged from behind the cloth. Mm. Lucky for them, the two men, they leave immediately. Mm-hmm. They're nervous because nice, sweet Kate right. just yelled at them. And Pa and John came out from behind. Yep. Something feels it was, wrong. Right. And they, they left. 
There were also more than a dozen bullet holes in the roof and sides of the cabin. And the media, the media of the time, okay, newspaper. The newsies. The newsies. They assumed some of the armed victims may have tried to fight after being hit but stunned with the hammer. Sure. I'm sure some people died from the blow of the hammer, but Uh they always slit the throats, by the way. Right, right. Okay, so they probably weren't. I mean, at least, like you said, they were probably stunned or just knocked out. Yes. But so the search for the benders began. And in addition to Colonel York's $1,000 that he offered, Kansas Governor Thomas A. Osborne offered $500 each bender or 2,000 total for the benders. Wow. So this led to some false arrests. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? Sure. Oh, an ugly hag woman? I know her. Yeah, it led yeah. to some false okay. arrests. All right. A ticket clerk in Thayer offered information. So detectives had followed wagon tracks and discovered the bender's wagon abandoned with starving horses just outside. Fuckers. I know. Just outside the Thayer city limits, only 12 miles north of the inn. The ticket clerk at the train station said he sold four tickets to people matching their descriptions. Okay. They had bought four tickets on the Leavenworth, Lawrence, and Galveston Railroad for Humboldt. John Jr. and Kate were alleged to have left the train at Chinook and caught a train south near Denison, Texas. They were rumored to have gone to a rogue border region with no law enforcement where outlaws gathered between Texas and New Mexico, and they weren't pursued because lawmen who pursued that to that area didn't return didn't back. from that region. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, one detective... So split up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So John Jr. and Katie, <laughs> one detective says, says that he did trace them to the border, and he reports that John Jr., when he was down in, what do we want to call it, outlaw territory, mm-hmm. died of apoplexy, which oh. is a stroke. Okay. So this is, and this comes up a couple it's times. Kind of young to stroke out, but he he it is eighteen hundred. He is. Nobody said whether or not the stroke was accompanied by a hammer shaped indent to his head or anything, but but they do say a stroke. Good point. Ma and Pa Bender never got off the train at Humboldt. They continued north to Kansas City and were believed to have transferred to a train heading to St. Louis, which happens to be still the murder capital of the United States. <laughs> I love you, St. Louis. <laughs> Vigilante groups formed to search, and many of these groups make claims. So I'm just going to go through all the theories now. One group says they shot down the men and Ma and burned Kate alive like the witch that she was. Okay. Another group says they caught all four of them while escaping south and lynched them, then threw them in the Vertigris or Vertigree River. But they really are just trying to get this money, right? Listen. Okay. And another group says that all four benders were killed in a gunfight and they buried them on the prairie. But there were never any confirmations, bodies found, and no one ever even tried to claim the $3,000 award, which was $67,858 as of today's date. The search continued on and off for over 50 years. (gasps) Rumors that Ma and Kate actually traveled together were also reported. So there were reports that it was Ma and Kate together. In 1884, there was a report that a John Flickinger, thought to be John Bender Sr., Pa, Uh committed suicide in Lake Michigan. Okay. Then, that same year, another man was arrested in Montana for a murder in Salmon, Ohio. Salmon, Idaho, where the victim was hit in the head with a hammer. Mm. They sent to Cherryvale to get someone to come ID the suspect. They believed it to be John Bender Sr., but the man died after he tried to escape by severing his own foot from leg irons where he promptly bled to death. Jesus. 
even though he was never ID'd, we didn't have DNA, no. we didn't have scientific evidence. No, we have descriptions. Yes. Even though he was never ID'd, this man's skull was displayed in a salmon Idaho saloon depicting him as the murder pa bender. Really? Yeah. Even though we really have Souvenirs. absolutely no freaking we idea. We know that some prisoner basically chewed his own leg off to an ankle <laughs> off to get out. <laughs> right. Yeah, his skull was on display uh, for a number of years until it closed down. For years, there were Bender sightings. In 1889, two women were arrested in Niles, Michigan. Oh, my god! For larceny. Really? Uh, right. One Niles. was beautiful, one was ugly? Get this. An Elmira Monroe and a Sarah Davis. Oh. Now, they were found not guilty of the larceny here in Michigan, mm -hmm. but then they were arrested for the Bender murders. Their identities matched a likeness of a tintype photo. Remember the old tintypes mm -hmm. from back in the 1800s? Yeah. And Sheriff Dick from Osage traveled to Michigan. Mrs. Davis, so remember there's a Sarah Davis and an Elmira Monroe. Yep. Mrs. Davis said Mrs. Monroe was Elmira Bender, but that she wasn't Kate. Instead, she was her sister, Sarah. Mrs. Oh. Monroe denied all of that and said, I oh, know, I'm not a bender. We're not the benders. The women were extradited to Kansas. That's exactly what the benders would say. Right. Ultimately, Mrs. Monroe admitted she had married a man named Shearer and had been convicted of manslaughter previously. And that's why she wasn't forthcoming with information um, because she was a convicted kind of murderous, right? She yeah, was a manslaughter. So she, I have killed someone right. before. Well, what was found that if she had in fact been, if she was in fact uh, married to the Shearer man and living in Michigan, she would have been living here when the murders in the Bender murders were committed in 1872. Oh, okay. So they found that there was not enough proof to convict the women. I just want to know, remember that just because you're not guilty doesn't mean that you're innocent. Right, right. right. If that isn't confusing enough... Then there's some evidence that convolutes the entire story of the Bloody Benders, and I'm going to give this to you now. Okay. Let's just ask ourselves, who are the Benders? Pa Bender was actually found to have been a man named John Flickinger, who may have committed suicide in Lake Michigan, Michigan or may have cut off his own foot. So they were never the Benders escape. to begin with? Never. They were the Flickingers? You, no. He was a Flickinger. <gasps> I'm not done. They were never a family? No, they were kind of a family. He like, and Ma ended up getting married. This okay? is why Kate was humping her brother. It was her husband, wasn't you it? You fucking got it, man. Yes. Okay. So I love when she guesses things early. <laughs> early. Like, I'm all excited. I'm sorry I ruined it for the rest of you, sorry. but I'm excited. So, <laughs> Oh my God, so, my mind is blown. So John Flickinger, Pa Bender, had immigrated from either Germany or Holland. Okay. So he's legitimately a German or um, Dutch immigrant, right? Okay. And mm -hmm. would presumably be hard to understand and such. Ma Bender was actually Elmira Mike or Mark and was born in the freaking Adirondacks. <laughs> She's from here. She wasn't even foreign. Totally fake accent and all. Okay, I don't hate that. Which, that cracks me up. Right? Well, you are still not going to like her. She's still a she, nasty woman. She is, but that's funny. Well, when she was a teenager, she, which is typical in that area of the Adirondacks, um, she married a man named George Griffith. Okay. She gave birth to 12 children, including oh, Kate. God. Okay. So Kate, Kate and really, she are related. Okay. Kate really now, was her daughter. Yes. Mr. Griffith died suddenly of a bad place in the head, quote unquote, uh -oh. which resembled a hammer a sized hammer? dent. Yeah. Bad place in the head. I'd say. It legitimately says that for cause like a bad place bad, in the head, bad like He's a soft just, spot, but it was a, it was a hammer. But it was a skull fracture. 
Well, it's got a bad if, place in the head. If that doesn't lend. That's like heart attack used to be called an everlasting faint. <laughs> right. Fantastic. The everlasting faint. Well, Elmira married several more times and was rumored to have killed every single one of those husbands and three of her own children so they couldn't testify against her. This does not surprise me at all. Nope. And let She's that a be, murderess. Let that be a message to all you single ladies out there. If yep. Elmira can continue to get it, so can you. That's right. There's, so there's men. I wow. I feel like Elmira is the real murderess here. Yes. Like this is her the brains behind yes. the entire operation. She's been killing, but she falls. She must fall in love then with uh, John Flickinger. John Flickinger. She's Flickinger. got her daughter Kate, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Kate in a few as well. But then they somehow end up with John Jr. Right? He is not their child. Yeah. John Jr. was actually a man named John Gephardt, and the weird laughing thing that he exhibited. Was rumored to be an act to disguise his true nature. He was very smart and wanted, wanted people, people to, to think, think he was, he was a in a halfwit. So John and Kate were said to have not been related at all. And in fact, sometimes passed as husband and wife. Okay. They had a known sexual relationship. And as I mentioned earlier about Kate's whole free love speeches, it, I think it was a cover. Like, it's okay to love and want in to case, have sex with yeah. your brother because this guy isn't actually my right. brother. In case you ever see me fooking my brother, it's because <laughs> right. he's not it's really my, my brother. husband. Right, or, but I, yeah. I just want you guys you, to know it's okay. Tales say, you're not going to like this. I okay. don't like this. I wish I could skip over it. But you can't. You got to give us all the info. All right. Kate and John mm -hmm. had multiple babies. And when and this is a huge trigger alert, you guys, uh, for infanticide. When she would give birth, they would bash the baby's heads in at birth. Oh, my God. Why? Just why? Um, because they're supposed to be brother and sister? Um, I don't or they know. Just they didn't want didn't the entanglement. They, they, have, they have a thing here. Yeah. They kill people. They steal money. They move on. And they enjoy killing. And so... Oh they, my God! That's what that was, and and no, this says when I found this in the in the citation specifically says it was rumored that okay. they would bash, but that, that she had had multiple pregnancies. Well, I mean, yeah, there's not exactly birth control. John Gebhardt was the man found to have died of a stroke at the Texas New Mexico border. Okay, now Kate was actually the fifth child of Elmira. Her wow. her birth name was Eliza Griffith. After she married, she went by Sarah Eliza Davis. <gasps> The lady that was the found lady in that was claiming to be her sister. Sarah Davis is the woman found in Michigan that quote unquote sold out Elmira Monroe. Yeah. I think this was Kate and yes, her mom. I think so too. Most Kate, definitely. Kate was also said shockingly to have been actually prostituting herself, prostituting okay. herself at the Bender Inn. She sure. was involved in sex work. And well, I don't yeah. think that was a surprise to anybody, but no. I believe that this was something that Kate was doing consistently with their, um, movement oh. west yes also might be probably why she was just getting rid of the pregnancies the way that she perhaps was perhaps so there's a museum still in cherryville that okay. has what's left of the exhibits from the bender and of course most of it was taken by what i can only call grave robbers right. but i mean they souvenir hunters right so we don't know what happened to the benders there's all these rumors and all these theories that still abound I want to read a couple things to you. So in my research, um, and this is from the Bloody Benders Serial Killers of Kansas, Legends of America. 
Well, in January of 2011, there was a, a reader that did this thing called a reader's update, and he calls it Grandpa's Tale of the Bloody Benders, and I'm going to read it verbatim. Grandpa's Tale. Yeah. Sit around, people, children. Can you imagine, tell though, you a tale. during the time, people who were living there, this was a big thing. Yeah. And they, how many people had stopped at this inn or knew who they were? Independence, while it wasn't a huge metropolis, was certainly a main place that people yeah. would travel to and from. Certainly. It was, they were seeing some action. Yeah. So the reader says, and this is, uh, I'm going to give you credit, Gabe. Gabe Gibson from Effingham, Illinois, as told to him by his grandfather, Emerson Smalley. Love it. Aww. Last night, I listened to a story from my grandfather, Emerson Smalley, about the Benders and their supposed end. His family was from the Cherryville, Kansas area, and the story involves a group of men that found the benders and were in a gunfight with them, one of whom was a judge that lost part of his ear in the gun battle. Oh, my God! You knew I had to cover this. Yes, of course. My grandfather, who's approaching 80, is always full of great stories, but he assured me that his father, who passed this on to him, knew what really happened. When his father, my great-grandpa, Frank Smalley, was a boy, he was hiding in the hayloft of the family barn where he overheard a group of men talking below and laughing. Frank's father, Jesse P. Smalley, and several men were joking with a local judge, teasing him about his missing ear. As the boy listened, the men continued to talk, relating the tale of how the judge had lost his ear. It was a story about the infamous benders and about one man who got away. This unnamed man was one of many who made the mistake of stopping at the Bender Inn. Like others, he was hit over the head as he sat at the table. The benders then stripped him of his clothes and went to bury him when the man suddenly awoke. Oops. The benders were undoubtedly surprised to find that the man wasn't dead. Somehow, he escaped, appearing naked in the middle of the night at Jesse Smalley's doorstep. Telling the story of his near death, Jesse quickly retold it to a nearby doctor and judge, who formed a vigilante group to go after the benders. However, by the time the men arrived at the Bender's cabin very early the next morning, they found them gone. They then began to follow a wagon trail left by the Benders that took them down as far as Tulsa, Oklahoma, before circling back into Kansas. At a fork of the Fall and Verdigree Rivers, they found the Benders with their wagon backed up against a fallen tree with canvas over it for shelter. When the vigilante group approached, the benders fired on them, at which time the judge lost part of his ear to a flying bullet. Okay. In retaliation, the vigilantes killed all of the members of the bender family, buried them where they died, and took the wagon to town where they left it. I have heard my grandfather tell this story since I was a boy, and grandpa swears that this is the real story of what happened to the benders. Fact or fiction, no one knows. But I've always enjoyed the tale, and I hope you will as well. Yeah, the second, a little boy overhearing yeah. conversation. Well, I could see that. And another version of that, though far more well-known, have you ever heard of Laura Ingalls Wilder and the Little House on the Prairie? Yes, and it's weird. I just got the chills because at the beginning of this story when we were talking about all this, I almost said, oh, I'm getting Little House on the Prairie vibes. Yeah, you should. The Little House on the Prairie books were warm and sugar-coated retellings of life on the West, right? Yeah. But in 1937, at a book fair in Detroit, actually, how fun is this? Laura Ingalls Wilder is Mm -hmm. telling a story to the public. She mentioned stopping at the Bender's Inn. Shut up. She made a statement that her dad, Pa Ingalls, our Pa, Charles. Oh my gosh, Charles. Joined in one of those vigilante hunts for the killers. 
She remembers that when Pa returned from where he had gone, he said, not to worry, they will never be found. He was on that that trail that went after them. She continued that the benders were in fact never found and stated that she had formed her own conclusions why. But whether this is true or an exaggerated memory of a then four-year-old girl is unknown. We do know that at four, the benders were, she was, so Laura Ingalls would have been four. The benders were exposed in 1873. Mm -hmm. If we chronicle her life on the prairie and life moving back out west, it was two years after the Ingalls family had left the area. Okay. So the Ingalls family did live about 20 miles south in Rutland Township. These statements that she made were only ever republished in 1988's A Little House Sampler until it was reproduced into Pioneer Girl. That was the most recent one that came out that um, Laura Ingalls Wilder's daughter published. Yes. So critics believed it to be creepy, cinematic, and likely untrue. Some feel that this was an attempt by Laura Ingalls Wilder to appeal to an adult audience. Okay. The Ingalls family historically did leave Kansas and return to Wisconsin long before the discovery of the Bender's Hell's Half Acre. So whatever, whether Pot Ingalls ever actually met the Benders during their stay in Independence is maybe sketch at best. But George Lanker did live in Rutland Township in 1870 and he would have been close neighbors with the Ingalls. Okay, and so maybe he could have riled him up, so like gathered him up. Some feel that the memories of the time were simply absorbed into the tale of the benders. Okay. She was four. She was hearing things, kind of like this kid at the barn. You mm-hmm. hear a story told so many times. So some people think publicity stunt by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Others feel that at as a four-year-old hearing this very famous story and knowing that they had been close neighbors and possibly friends with the, one of the victims... And that Pa had reportedly stopped, and why wouldn't they have? That would have been a spot that they would have stopped at the Bender's Inn. Right. That he somehow became involved when he went out one evening with a group to to do some vigilante justice. Sure. So, before we end the tale of the Bloody Benders. Fascinating. Well, I want to do something, and we still have plenty of time. So, I want to give you a complete accounting of the victims. We make sure we do that on Mm -hmm. this podcast. And there are very likely many more that were not found. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So I'm just going to go through um, May 1871, Mr. Jones. That was the body that was found in Drum Creek with a crushed skull and the throat cut. Okay. February of 1872 were the two unidentified men found on the prairie, uh, I believe in the river. After the snowstorm? Yes, Mm -hmm. with the skulls uh, crushed and the throat's cut. December 1872, Ben Brown. He was the one found with $2,600 missing. Mm. He was buried in the apple orchard. Okay. Um, all of these are December 9, 1872, by the way. All of the rest of these until I get to the to the last one. Henry McKenzie. He had been relocating to Independence from Hamilton County, Indiana. $36 was missing. And a matched team of horses. Mm. Johnny Boyle from Howard County, Kansas. He was missing 10 bucks. Was 226 now. Had a pacing mare. I don't, what's a pacing mare? You're a horse person. Is um, it like a paces the rest of the horses? Oh, a pacing mm-hmm. mare. Thank you. That was brilliant. Come to Charnel for all your horse needs. Eight hundred and fifty dollars in a saddle was missing. He was found in the well. They had thrown him in the well. Bender's well. Um, the well that they used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, they were cannibals. <laughs> uh, George Newton uh, Lonker and his eighteen-month-old mm-hmm. daughter Mary Ann. Um, some newspapers, and I'm going to note this now for anybody who wants to tell me I'm inaccurate. 
sometimes it's long core l-o-n-g-c-o-r sometimes mm-hmm. it's longer l-o-n-c-h-e-r mm-hmm. and sometimes mary ann is reported as being 18 months old and sometimes eight years old which is a huge effing difference that is a huge difference. but i went with the one that i saw the most um and with uh the neighbor mr york then went looking and the things that were published on his gravestone i figured his and his family's would be the most accurate right, description so right. i say it said 18 months old yeah yeah um they Someone were found. Could have just forgot that one in front of the eight <laughs> right? for the eight year old. Correct. Again, she was thought to have been buried alive. He he was killed traditionally the same way as the others. No injuries were found on her body. She was fully clothed, including mittens and her hood. They were both found buried together in the apple orchard. Can we hope that maybe they just suffocated her before they buried her and they just didn't have the maybe. ability to you maybe. Know, determine that at that one, time? One account said that they thought she was strangled, but I find that suspicious and suspect at best because there's ligature marks yeah. even then, people. They'd so. Eighteen oh, still December eighteen seventy two. John Greery, Red Smith, and Abigail Roberts were all found buried in the apple orchard. They're fertilizing their December thirteenth through fifteenth. Various body parts. Oh. The parts did not belong to any of the other victims found, and are believed to belong to at least three additional victims. Also, December uh, eighteen seventy two. These are victims. What they consider sixteen through nineteen. During the search, the bodies of four unidentified males were found in Drum Creek and the surrounds. All four had crushed skulls and throats cut. One may have been a Jack Bogger whose horse was purchased from a friend of the vendors after he went missing in 1872, but they couldn't mm-hmm. ID him. Mm-hmm. And then last was Dr. William York, who $2,000 was missing on him, and he was also found uh, buried in the apple orchard. The remains, uh, body parts that were not matched to the bodies found, um, they believe to be the representation total of more than 20 victims. Because they were eaten. Well, the cauldron, the statements made, you and I are warped with the things that we know about the things that we know. And if there's body parts buried, but there's a lot missing, and you have the cauldron, and you have the ability to serve it and dispose of it, then of course that's where we're jumping. Yes. But let me again maybe, preface that there was animals, no confirmation. Maybe animals ate it. I don't know. I don't think so. You know, it's only parts because there's coyotes. Right. So there we have, in my research, America's first family of serial right, killers. Right, right. Well, but they weren't all really related. Now were they? They were a pseudo-family. what makes a family? (laughs) What makes a family, Charnel? I am so glad that you did that case. I I am too. I probably never would have went down the rabbit hole, and I'm just so glad that you did. Well. I'm fascinated. Tie up your apron springs, Alice, because we followed the white rabbit today. Okay. We ate the thing that said, eat me. We drank the thing that said, drink me. And that's where we ended up with the bloody benders. Yes. Yes. So, I love it. Would you like a little bit of a brain bath? I, I just do. have a couple. I do. So as I'm taking a sip here, t- dumbest criminals. I had to leave with some dumbest criminals. I do love it when you bring me a dumb criminal. Well, these were smart criminals, the benders, right? Absolutely. We don't know if they've ever been caught. Because, well, because really it's still unsolved. Like, we know that there were these four it is the largest, heinous people. Most famous unsolved case of, in Kansas, yeah. if you look it up. Yeah, and I get that. I understand yes. why. Amazing. All right. So a nameless thief, I'm assuming nameless because he's <laughs> embarrassed or too stupid to be published with a name, in Portland, <laughs> Oregon, executed the almost perfect robbery in 2013. After going through every inch of a house he had broken into, opening every drawer and stealing everything of value he could find without leaving any fingerprints. Mm. He got thirsty. 
He grabbed a container of orange juice he found in the refrigerator, took a gulp directly from it, and left it in the sink. That's a lot of work. The container was sent straight to the DNA testing unit at Oregon State Crime Lab, where the forensic scientists found a match, and the thief was caught. Yep, yep, that'll do it. That's a lot of work. Bring your own water bottle, buddy. No kidding. Just get a drink when you leave. I bring my own water bottle to work. Right. Why wouldn't he? (sighs) Okay. Uh, A 10-year-old. beautiful. A 10-year-old boy was playing with his father's old handcuffs on Father's Day. Oh? He cuffed himself to his dad, William Klein Jr., but they lost the key during the game. Are they fuzzy? No, this is the father and son, but I venture... I don't think well, I'm just wondering why dad had them. Was well, he in law enforcement or if they were, were fuzzy, they fuzzy? If they were fuzzy, I don't think they would have needed to call for the assistance that they did. Because oh. Mr. Klein, when his son handcuffs himself, handcuffs him to him, calls the local police in Des Moines, Iowa to help him get the cuffs off. Sure. As per routine, the police ran Klein through their database and uh, found two arrest warrants outstanding oh. and recuffed Klein in front of his kid, but no. it was for real this time. No. Yeah. Turns out we shouldn't have cut those cuffs, the cuffs off you, buddy. We could have just left him on. Oh, shit. Also, does he not know he had warrants out for Some his people arrest? don't. Uh, I, exactly. I mean, they really don't. Or he thought maybe they wouldn't run him. Right, they were coming for such an innocuous Sometimes thing. People are investigated for a crime, and then it gets set up. They aren't arrested right away, right. and they never know what came of it. Yep. Now, if I had contact with the police, I'm gonna follow up. I would call <laughs> and be. I'm gonna follow up. I'm gonna be like, yeah. um, was somebody? So, was I gonna be charged? Do I have a that, warrant? Yeah. About that convo we had. Yeah. Remember Where do when we I stand on that? Remember when I volunteered to come to the sheriff's department <laughs> to talk to you? Yeah. All right, here's a fun one. Scottish shoplifter Aaron Morrison, Scottish shoplifter Aaron Morrison, I fucked it up, might be one of the most stupid thieves in history. Legit. Okay. But I also, I dig him. (laughs) After stealing a bottle of vodka from a liquor store, he stayed there to flirt with the shop clerk. Oh, boy thinks he's got game. He even gave her his name and number. Oh, my guy. And then it wasn't. His real number? His name and number after he robbed her, and then obviously oh. they traced his whereabouts. Honey, baby, boo boo pie. You can't know. The police are like, "Hi, this is Maggie from the <laughs> saloon. Do you, do you Will rem- you meet me? <laughs> do you remember me from the liquor store? <laughs> I'd like to cash in on that date now. So, oh. at a bus station in Saint Paul, Minnesota, a hot-tempered man named Justin John Boudin was involved in an argument with a woman, and he punched her in the face. Oh, okay. He also attacked another person who was standing there, which caused him to drop his folder on the ground, and he didn't retrieve it because he fled. The police officers who arrived at the scene a few minutes later tracked Boudin thanks to what was inside the folder. His anger management homework. Oh, Jesus. Well, he hadn't done his homework yet, to be fair. He didn't know how to angrily manage that situation. Nope. Any other way? Nope, nope. Oh. It did. It did not oh, go over well. That's ironic. And I'm just going to leave you with this one. One of the most ridiculous robberies ever committed took place in Hickory, North Carolina. An unobservant thief invaded Captain's Galley Restaurant and picked up the cash register, but didn't notice a little detail: a trail of white cash register tape hanging from the machine. All the police had to do was follow the trail to his apartment Shut up. of paper, finding him cracking open the oh register. My God. <laughs> yeah. Ever walked out of the bathroom with toilet paper on your foot? I it's, feel like this is different. It's kind of like that, except, you know, a crime. Now, 
it would be like walking out with it attached to your foot, still, still attached, attached to, the, to roll, the roll, so it keeps on going. So people could just follow it right to All your I table. All I know is I walked out of Tootsie's and was going down broad, and the next thing I know, somebody was yelling, girl, you got toilet paper on your boot. Toilet paper. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my. So well, there we go. You. Thank you for that. What a great case. And man, look at you bringing the hour and a half long case. Yeah. Today. I decided work. that I needed to give you something longer than an hour. My stamina is not what it used to be. <laughs> well, you held up just fine today. Thank you. Thank I you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Oh, all right. Thank you guys for listening. Follow us on social media. Send us your uh, message re- or message request. No, send us your case <laughs> request. Send us a friend request. <laughs> Uh, to crimecurious at yahoo.com. Also, you could email us from our website, crimecuriouspodcast.com. We will answer. Yes, we do. And uh, if you want to binge, God, we have hundreds of episodes that you could binge. We give our Patreons a lot of extra content. So go to patreon.com forward slash crimecurious and binge us there and uh, help keep us on air. So, all right. Until next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.